And when you fear the unknown, when you show up to moments, you operate in fear. And if my boy goes into the world, there's a lot of scary things, right? Can I subject him to a, a knowledge of this feeling, a knowledge of this moment showing up in a different place? Because you might have a fear of like, there's a guy with a gun. There's also the fear of like, my girl might leave me. Different things, but it's fear. And if you operate in the emotion without having some heightened sense of things, your emotion takes a logic over you do dumb things. So the idea is, can I subject him to things he's scared of that make him uncomfortable? Not so that he's afraid of that thing or overcomes that thing, but he overcomes fear. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. In today's episode, I bring you my dear friend and mentor, Anthony Trucks. You're going to get to see how truly remarkable of an individual Anthony is and how much he's inspired me over these years that I've known him. One of the things that sticks out most to me from this show is how Anthony breaks down the concept of identity. When we are looking as individuals to create a new identity, to show up in our life as someone better for ourselves, for our families, and for our communities, he explains it is our actions that we need to focus on. Fully embodying those actions of the type of person we are seeking to become is critical if we want to truly step into that change for the long term. Also, I was touched after we stopped recording when Anthony shared with me that a few of the questions we went into, he hadn't been asked before related to some of where he still struggles or things he's grown into. Anthony is an incredible entrepreneur. He's been an elite athlete, he's won American Ninja Warrior, he's been a gym owner, podcaster, and so much more. One of the things that I've always admired about Anthony is his ability to maintain harmony and balance as a high-level business entrepreneur and an incredible family man. He treats and focuses on his role as a father and as a husband as his primary motivator in this world, and it was so cool to hear his experience and what he's doing, raising two sons and what he's going to be guiding them through as they transition and continue into the realm of manhood. Let's get into it. So yesterday, we're coming off of two amazing days. And, you know, I've been in your mastermind group for almost two years in business. You know, it's way more than just business development, like which is so linked to the personal development. But Mm -hmm. with that said, like one thing that I was thinking about, especially on the drive over here, and I've thought about this so much over the last two years. Like, what, what are the things that really stand out to me about you? And it just comes so much to life. And because we're coming off this, these two days of just, I don't know, eight hour days, just full on. Just all mental. Just, just all mental. Yeah. Mind jams. Yeah. You know, the, one of the first things that stands out is truly, truly how incredibly generous you are. You are hands down one of the most, if not the most generous people I've ever met in my life. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Dude, you give from the heart, you give above and beyond. And one of the things that I've always admired and the person that introduced us was a mutual friend, Ella. Yeah. And one of the things when she first connected to us, she's like, you got to meet Anthony. You know, she told me a little bit about your background, but really one of the things that me and her have always chopped it up about was the way and the level in which you show up for the people in your life and that you care about mm. and your whether it's your students the people in your program us in the mastermind is a level that i have not experienced oh man i appreciate that it's yeah, it's cool. 100% no exaggeration and when i was thinking too it's like i really in my experience of you i've really experienced you to have the freaking opposite 
of a scarcity mindset. Yeah, I would probably say it for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like you share so openly everything that you're doing in your business. There's no dumb question. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you've been, especially with me this last two, you know, this last two years through very challenging stuff, family stuff, relationship stuff, and not to mention all the business stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? And so one of the things that I was thinking about, I was like, man, one thing that's always fascinated me about people is let's say you took two people Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily need to, but let's just for the sake of this, let's say you had two people, whether it was siblings or whatever that grew up in the same environment. Okay. And or had, you know, the same parents, obviously, if they're siblings, something happens in their life, whether it's a trauma, a situation, whatever. And two people, even having gone through the same thing, are going to respond completely different. Every time. Every time. Every time. One may be thriving and then another one could get totally stuck. Right. So what I'd love to do is, you know, I know a little bit about your background and I'd love for you to share with us just a little bit about the story of your life, especially growing up. Mm -hmm. And in relationship to that question, like when I see you, I mean, you know, you're incredible with your family, you know, which to me is probably one of the most important things that I admire about you you, and at which the level you operate in, Mm -hmm. in the business world, let alone NFL and all published author, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But that being said, it's like, so please share a little bit about your upbringing and in context, that question, what sticks out to you as something, even if two people have experienced or grown up in the same environment, what is it that sets someone up to thrive and someone not so much? I mean, so I think it's anchoring to what your specific scale is. It's the first part of it because we all have our own scales, right? It's a, it's a scale that we've set. Unfortunately, some people attach that scale to more of like the worldly scale. Because the world of what I do, I got a lot of people that, that operate at a high level and I'm, I'm around them a lot, but their level of, we'll call it um, visual, you know, perception is so much higher. They're seen everywhere. They're doing these things and they, you know, they got to have their Ferraris and their cars and their nice stuff. And if not, they got to take nice trips, eat nice meals. And it's, it's great. And it's for some people. It's just not for me. And I don't have this uh, FOMO of, oh man, look at my buddy over there. Like I hang out. Oh, I'm not doing what he's doing, man. I, should I do more? Should I crave more? I know. I, I, most people go like, uh, they say millionaires don't watch TV. And I'm like, I watch a lot of TV shows. Man. Like, <laughs> I'm like, he doesn't want to watch shows. He take trips all the time. Like, but the thing for me is I, I long time ago set my own personal scale. I, I removed myself from the speed of the world that unfortunately, even if you use that scale and you achieve something on that scale, there's a point in time where you step back and you admire it. And the next person comes along and goes, you could have done more. Mm. it's like, dang, like, man, there's, there's never a win. It's like, it's all very. And so I was like, I don't like that feeling. So because of that, I'm like, well, how can I always be happy with what I did to where if someone goes, you didn't do that. I can go. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. But according to my scale, I'm doing great. When did that start for you? When was that switch that you can at least most accurately identify? I was probably when my marriage fell apart the first time. Mm. There wasn't a second time. Won't be right. But that's <laughs> <laughs> the first time. Uh, would have fell apart. And essentially it was like this thing where I was, I was that guy. I was driving hard trying to create this stuff and be this dude. And then that dude lost everything. So even if I did get this stuff, I'd be playing my toys alone. And so the, the whole journey that I went through for a few years of like navigating being, being alone, but then not enjoying who I was, but pacifying and distracting myself, you know, given the, oh, I'm good. I'm great. Look at me hanging out when genuinely inside, I'm like, I don't like me, man. And so it was a, a wake up moment in time where I was like, I got to, I got to make some shifts. All right. So the whole thing is like making shifts. And so at that point I started analyzing and being really self-critical, not self-deprecating, right? Like I was, I was critical of what I was doing, but not to beat, like beat myself up and you're a horrible human, but it was more of like, I didn't like you. So that was a journey of, 
okay, well, well, what are the things that are affecting it? Why are you feeling this way? And I started noticing things I was doing, how I was treating the people around me, how they felt I was treating them. Even if I didn't think it was a thing, like how, I, how they felt I was treating them. And that took me down this pathway of, okay, well, cool. Well, well why is that? Because these actions I'm taking are affecting somebody, but the actions aren't to affect them that way. The actions are for me to do something and they're feeling this way. So I'm going towards something that's making this happen. How do I see what I'm going towards mm. and how it's affecting them, right? That's just how it is. Most of people think when people are, oh, how could you do this to me? Most people don't understand that, that someone's not actually doing it to you. They're doing it for them. But the kickoff is that it's ex- being experienced by you in that way. And so that's kind of where I noticed, oh, well, people aren't actually doing things to really try to hurt me is doing something that's affecting me. So I'm doing the same thing to other people. So it's okay. Well, how do I adjust what I'm going towards to where what I'm going towards is in the direction of where I want to be. Mm. And so that was that directional change of, I can still run a business, still create contacts of, of what I do in the world with, you know, with amazing humans and great relationships. I can still serve at a high level, still speak, but I can also do it while being a good husband and a good father and taking care of myself. Right? All these things are possible. It's just that most people think I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then when I have this success, then I can refocus over here. And it's like, well, my kids aren't going to pause their growth <laughs> in the middle of me living life. So I got to step back and go, okay, what do I got to adjust? And then I make these adjustments and I go, okay, now we're merged together. I call it harmony, right? It's, it's a life harmony. And that's the beautiful space that I live in now. So how I'm curious, how, like, just for context, how old were you around that time when your marriage fell apart? And like, I'd love to get an idea of like, how old were the kids? Cause now, like when I see you yeah. and you just shared yesterday, like one of your dreams is like setting up in the next two years is to literally be not necessarily King Richard, you know, but like be dad, but, but be, super present. Yeah. And like, you've got so many skills. I mean, as a coach, gym owner, I mean, former NFL guy, like, yeah. So, and your, your kids are athletes, your wife's an athlete. Yeah, they're all so. listening right now. Yeah, kids are listening right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's super, super cool that one, you have that clarity. Mm-hmm. So for context, because, you know, I really do believe that life is a series of initiations. Yeah. Some of those are conscious. Some of those that we, we, we go out and seek, mm-hmm. you know, and we need to today. Cause in my experience, we've completely lost what ritual initiation is, especially oh, like 100%. transitioning from boys to men. Oh, I got a conversation about that. that I want to ask you about <laughs> that too, you know? So what was, you know, and some of those, uh, some of those we choose and some of those, they, they, they happen, choose us, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So how old were you when that shift, because it's so prevalent in how I experience you now. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be super, super important. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, it's interesting. I think it was, a. Uh... So like what the shift was that made me focus on the family and the way it is to me now. Yeah. How old were you? And like, cause you're 40 or yeah, under no, 40? 38. 30, oh, I'm, I'm 40 next year though. I'm 39 wow. this year. Oh, dude. I'm getting old dog. <laughs> the gray hairs are creeping into no, my butt. You look body. good, man. You look fit. And when I, I try, you were, you were, you were a, quite a bit heavier when I first met you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you went, now you're lean, mean. Like I do my thing, dog. They, but but family, still, they still make fun of me, man. It's crazy. What do they call you? Fat. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Think about it. I'm the most out of shape in my family, probably. No way. I am genuinely like, and I, so my oldest son, he's doing track. He's going to go to Oregon. My daughter, she just finished her track season three days ago, junior Olympics. My youngest son did the 800 and he's doing football. Now my wife runs wow. track, works out five days a week religiously. Right. But she's also doing track and competitive in college. Long story, but she's competing in college with her masters already. Right. Jesus. So, so, so the whole dynamic is like, I, I'm the one they make fun of all the time. They're like, Oh, dad's fat. You going to work out today, dad? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm gonna work out. But they, they just play the game. I guess you got to choose someone, but I can handle it. I got thick skin. Cause I still tell them, Hey guys, let's just make sure we don't forget to look at the walls. Cause I'm the most accomplished athlete in this household still. <laughs> Let them know. I let them know. Just show them the rings over there. I do. Like, I seriously do. I let. So I said, until one of you guys outpaces me, 
just saying, you got no room to talk. So you can be all that stuff you want. But now that was probably about 35, 34, 35, because we got back together almost six years ago now. So if I'm 30, it'd be 39. It's probably 34, 35. Because I think it was this moment in time. It's interesting, whenever you like get your trust done by someone, um, usually the the individual setting up as a lawyer and the lawyer recommends a certain age at which your children can take over the trust from somebody else who's running it for you. Hmm. And they recommend 35. And I go, yeah, it makes sense. And I go, well, he goes, why do you think 35? And I go, well, you know, I don't know. Why do you think it? He gives me the answer. Cause I was like, cause you're older. He goes, nah, when you're a kid, you know, and you do your thing, when you're 20 in your twenties, you're figuring things out. You're taking risks, doing some things, you know, get your first job, have your first love. You know, you figure that stuff out and then you go through life a little bit. You know, you have the breakup, you lose the job, you lose the business, you fail a little bit. But by the age of 35 though, he's like, you've pretty much run like 95% of the gamut of crazy. <laughs> and so you understand why the trust is set up how it is in the first place. You understand how dynamics of interactions work with humans. You don't, you know, wide eyed, you know, bushy tailed anymore. He says, so at that age, you're a little more wise from the experiences you've had. So I think at that age, that kind of sets in for a lot of us, like that window is like, I've run a lot of life and I've done a lot of things. And you get back and you go, okay, I did that, did that, did that. Now you start figuring out who do I want to be long-term. Mm-hmm. I've sampled stuff. I've done this stuff. That's not for me. That's for me. Start developing this personality, this identity. You start figuring out what you want your life to look like, who you want to be with that also sees things the same way, you know? And at that point it rolls. So I think around that window, I was like, all right. I know what I want to experience my life long-term. And, and it meant us getting back together, not on purpose, but accidentally, but we share values, my wife and I. We share principles, we share work ethic. We share a lot of just memories and stuff, right? There's that, we also show children, you know? So these dynamics all come together to create this really beautiful space where I am, I am more free and at peace because I have an anchored relationship. Most people go, oh, I'm confined, you're gonna be, no, man. When you have that box checked, we'll call it, and you take care of the box, you know? everything's smooth. I can be here with you and be present and not stressed off. My wife's been mad at me, you know, bothered and everything. If anything, she's like, clean the toilet so he doesn't see pee stains. This <laughs> is how, how life works now. It's not those crazy arguments. That's something, you know, like, and you know very well, like I just got engaged, Yeah, you know, and Lauren and I are, there, there's so many things that are happening in our life that are really exciting. And for me, like my last major relationship before Lauren was eight years prior. Mm-hmm. So much, you know, not so much of it, but a big part of it was because I had this mindset, especially when I was competing and doing all these things that a part of me thought that being in a committed relationship, which is really the only type of relationship that I was interested in, mm-hmm. would have been something that kind of held me back. Like yeah. the, what is it, the ball and chain. Yeah, you know? I say that. I don't say that. Dude, it's not, it's really, I, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying. If you find someone with similar core values and mm-hmm. a similar approach to life and the communication is put towards the very top of really the, the, the values in the relationship, man, it's been so freeing. Yeah. Like you shared. So I totally resonate with a whole that. Totally different feel. Yeah, that's what, that's what life should be like, man. It should be, it, like they say, best friend. What can you do with your best friend? You can just sit around and do nothing all day. I could be in the same room with her for hours and say no words. That's cool. Like, I think there's something to that that people don't think about. And I think when you can lean into those, those moments and, and pay attention to them, it makes life more peaceful, more enjoyable. And then I can genuinely focus on my passions knowing that I have, you know, the, the relationship in check and I have someone to share that stuff with and to engage with and have fun. and all the nuances. But if not, I got this is where I say 35, I sampled this. I was single for a while. Mm. And that single realm, what you're doing is you're, you're running the muck, you know, multiple partners, which isn't my thing. I'm not a fan of it, but I was like, well, what do you do? Let's just try to, you know, <laughs> not like at the same time, by the way, but it was this thing where I was like living this life. And, and I realized like, I don't like that. I'm not yeah. built like that. I don't want my yeah. kids to be like that. I don't want my boys to think that's how you do it. And so you're modeling it, you know? And so it was a thing where it's like, nah, that's not who I am. And so 
you start to figure things out and navigate the journey. And then when you find someone that, and it locks in, it's a whole different, it's a whole different experience genuinely of life. You were saying 35 is, is where you were hearing and where you resonate with where that, that level of next level wisdom comes from. And one of the things that I've always been super interested in is how tribal societies or looking at us a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, just the developmental process mm -hmm. of people, especially of men, right? Yeah. So I would imagine that that wisdom today, if we were to look back 200 years, probably came a little bit earlier or a lot earlier due to, uh, I just really think of more time with fathers or with our parents. If mm -hmm. we're looking before the industrial revolution, before fathers were pulled out of the home into yeah. the factories, you know, they spent more time. Just There is something that happens just through osmosis when yeah. you are with your son. I agree. For example. So I'm curious because we were talking about this the other day. And I think this mm -hmm. is what also you were, you were, you were about to go into earlier is, you know, you've got a son, for example, and in your opinion, like what sticks out to you in terms of how you parent, how you want to parent mm -hmm. to really help him prepare for manhood? What are the things that you feel he needs yeah. to either go through or learn or whatever in terms of to really step into and, and, earn his way into manhood. And be a dude. Yeah. To be a guy that, that I feel confident, uh, you know, going in the world without me. Cause I, two days ago had a conversation with him. I was like, you, you're about to go into my world. Wow. Like, you've been, you've been in your world with me. But, oh damn. You know, like I, I step out I of the world, that. I hit the airports, I travel, I meet people, I interact with people on in the streets. Right. That's the world that you're now stepping into without, wow. without the, you know, the comfort and safety blanket of dad. And there is a dynamic. Interesting thing is there's, there's a difference between my oldest son and my youngest son. The different personalities, hundred percent, but there's a way that I, I show up and parent my youngest son. He has a different dad now because of what, what I was still living in life. Cause my youngest son, I had at 20 years old or oldest, I had at 20 years old. So when he comes into the picture, he's in a situation where he's, he's got a kid raising him. Mm -hmm. You think about it, like he's, he's got a child in a weird way. Like I'm a kid raising a, a, 20, a yep. 20 years old. And so, so what I'm learning with him is that there's a lot of stuff that I wish I would have done for him, been in place for him. I was navigating all these years I told you about with him growing up. I was always present, but not the exact same level I am now, right? Emotionally and present. Maybe. Emotionally present, yeah. mentally present, you know, lessons. It was, at the time was more like this guy's, anyway, don't get me wrong. I love the guy, but it's more like, he's a burden. I gotta, I gotta work on this. Go over there, watch the TV, stop. I gotta, I gotta create this thing. I, I gotta film this video. Can you go in the room for a little bit? Give me an hour and then we'll go outside and play golf. You know, but that wasn't parenting. That was pacifying. That was babysitting. It wasn't parenting. And so when we had this adjustment that I would say that we had a good relationship, but it's been great the last, you know, five, six years because he's really had a present father in the years that matter. My youngest son now has a, a father who I'm, I'm aware, like my oldest son, he's not a, he's not a brawler. You know, he's just, he's a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay, man. I, I don't, he didn't grow up in the world I grew up in. So I'm like, it's cool. It works out. But my, and he runs track because of this, right? It's his thing. He loves track. He gets down. He works hard, but, but hundred percent things go crazy, bro. Zombie apocalypse. Like he might get eaten. <laughs> like I'm being honest. Like you better come home. Cause I'll take care of you. Like, oh I'm, man. Now with my youngest son, I see the same things. Now with the youngest son, I, oldest son I saw before, but didn't do much. The youngest son, his life is vastly different. Wow. Like just, you know, Last night, he slept on a one-inch foam mattress on the ground with no blanket, no fan, no pillow on purpose. It sounds bad. It sounds like crazy, right? Well, I didn't physically accost my son. I don't beat him. He has some things he has to deal with. And for him, his, his understanding is not wrapped around what, what difficulty is. Everything's yeah. given to him. My eldest son had everything given to him. He happens to be a little more astute. He's sort of mentally polished. He, he's, he gets it, right? I can have real conversations. He'll get it. My youngest son, in one year, out the other. It's the only thing that he gets 
is physical discomfort. Mm. So it's like, I have to actually sub- submit him to a physical discomfort, which is remove things from his life. He has so much, I'm not going to give him more. I just need to remove things. So he appreciates what he has and understands that that next thing I need you to do, this will be your long-term experience of life. If you don't make this short-term thing, you can choose short-term discomfort or difficulty or long-term difficulty. So I told him last night, a, he does football practice. He needed to do something specific. I said, you just got to do it for two hours, just two hours. It ended up being three plays. I said, if you can do it for the three plays, he didn't do it. I said, you had a choice. You can do this really short-term difficult thing or have the next 24 hours be uncomfortable. And he thought I was bluffing. Wow. And so he's, he's in the middle of his 24 hours of discomfort and difficulty. And it's, it's this thing that weighs on him. And, and the, how was that for you as a father? It's hard, man. But you know what is interesting? It's not, it's not that hard for me because I understand what it's going to do for him. Because I look back to my years and I developed as, as a solid human, but it's because of great men. And every great man that impacted me, I hated in real time. Every time I hated what he was doing, making me do, wow, I don't want to do this. You, you, you know, you know, angry and you you hate the guy. But then in hindsight, I go, oh damn, like I can do this now because of what he did then. I appreciate him. I respect him more. I can tell where he put the, have been a father now. I know how much energy it takes to do that. And I go, that dude really gave all that energy to me. He'd be much easier to sit back and say nothing to me. Wow. But he, you know, he leaned in. So those little moments, they, they actually in the long term they play a different kind of role for me. And I appreciate that more. It's more important. So tell me about the Gogi, because this fits in exactly into, you know, what I was asking you earlier about, you know, what do you feel like specifically your oldest son needs to go through as he's about to go to college? So what yeah. is the Gogi and how does that fit in? Well, the oldest son won't do it, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish he could, man, because you, I, I, I could, if I planned it off right and did everything, we could make him do the final challenge. But the Gogi is a thing back in the day, like the Spartan days. And I went and looked it up. Uh, the very first probably five minutes of the movie 300 talks about it. And it's a, it's a beautiful intro. Like you may even like put it as a link, people can watch it, but it talks through like, you know, the, 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 the man, like the boy, he was cold and he could feel the breath in his, you know, his, head, his lungs and this whole thing about how in the age of seven, he was put, you know, taken from his mom. And it was, it was, yeah, it was, was he stripped from his mom or whatever, taken from his mom and thrust into this world of the agogi, which means to raise and, and what it does is it hardens them. Now, this is a different level. They're making them like steal, rob, kill, you know, to be able to survive. And, but it's creating these warriors and he goes and then he comes back, thought he was dead and he returns a king, Leonidas, you know, this whole thing. And it's like, that's, that's what men do is they go out and they do things that are really hard and they come back and they have this chip. Now he's a different level. He's fight wolves in the woods, you know, like a whole different monster. But the thing is, is for our boys, I don't think that we're, we're in our society subjecting enough kids to dif- discomfort and difficulty and things that, that test them. Cause it's not that it tests them, it builds them. There's this fear. And there's a reason I showed my wife that clip of he was taken from his mom. Cause I think a lot of it is when there's mom and dad in the household, it's great. But sometimes like my biggest battle is my wife doing things for going, why are you being so mean? I go, I'm not being mean. This was, this was the rule. He broke the rule. He knew the consequence. I'm just upholding the consequence. Like that's the, that's the situation. And he goes to the real world, it'll be the exact same thing. That's integrity. It's integrity, right? And it's, it's a matter of, because of, if not, then who, who's he going to be afraid of in the world? If not, if he doesn't learn this lesson in his own home, not going to be afraid of anybody. And also a lot of the things that move him into that realm that I'm trying to have him do, they're not just random to make him have a bad day. It's stuff like communication skills, things like doing hard things. If you do something, you work your hardest at it. I don't need you to win. 
I don't need you to be the best at it. I need you to give your best effort. That's literally it. In our household, people, I think it's interesting, people like my best friend go, I always worried about winning and stuff. I'm like, never. I said, ask my kids, have I ever told them to win? None of them. They'll all be like, no, I've never told you to win. What have I told you to do? To work hard. That's it. Because if you can work hard, it's not just working hard when it feels good. It's working hard when it doesn't. Working hard in the difficulty. Working hard when you're tired. It's just, can you give your all? And I've got to stretch them. And so when I, I say me, and it's like, I'll get into that moment and I'll nudge them and she'll go, oh, she'll feel the empathetic pain of what he's experiencing and want to stop him. And so I, I, I find myself in, in current moments dealing with her coming to me going, God, I just can't stand when he does this. Or like, why is he out in the field looking like he's soft? Like he's been there three years. He, he looks like a new football player. He shouldn't be. And I go, well, let's have some conversations. <laughs> like, because here's the thing. I say, in this moment, you're, you're noticing the outcome of the way that you've parented or you've forced me to parent with you. We're seeing the outcome. And while you want to complain about it, you, you need to also be able to take the, the feedback of why we're here because his inability to push past that discomfort or be a little more physical, what you want him to do is because you wouldn't let me do it when I wanted to. You would save him. You coddled him. You made it easy for him. And the things I was making him do weren't dangerous. It wasn't a danger to him. It was, hey, don't cut corners when you clean the poop up. Hey, you keep on leaving this thing out. What's the consequence for leaving it out? This, okay, cool. You leave it out again. That's the consequence. And leaves it out. I hold the consequence. Come on, we're all going to eat ice cream. Just, just we'll deal with it later. He doesn't get ice cream. Why are you going to be mean? Not being mean. That's the rule, right? So these little moments here, she doesn't realize that it's, it's now showing up in this test. He's failing the test because of the fact that he was not put to the test or to the, the lessons later on or earlier on. So now this will be living to. So that whole agogi concept, I'm creating something. Next week, we have a meeting with a few guys. I call it Council of Dads. <laughs> Genuinely, I'm dead serious. I call it the Council of Dads. Yes. I was like, what do we want to do if, if my boy turns 13 and your boys turn 13, they're now teens, right? They're, they're above that age. What can we do to where at 18, they can take like an exit test, and a gogi test and be prepared for it? But obviously over the years, we're building into it. What can we create for them? And I'm not a business focus, like genuine just serve these kids. So think of it like Boy Scouts, but like a modern level of what I would call it. So I'm not, I may or may not have them tie knots, right? I may or may not have them build a, a dog house, but for sure we're going to have like communication skills, go door to door and sell something like the Girl Scouts do. So there's a use to that, right? Find out how to have, you know, hard conversations, like to express themselves. How do I work that in? I don't quite know yet. Physical challenge, like I need to think of things before they happen and put them into those, inten those moments intentionally because our world doesn't do it nowadays. Everyone gets a participation trophy. Half the coaches they have are scared of getting in trouble for being too hard. Hmm. Like there's this dynamic that's robbing boys of being men. And so the men have to create men because at a certain point, you're no longer raising a boy. You have to raise a man. And if not, then when that man goes into the world, you're still going to be parenting a boy. And we got a problem there. And that's, that's so important. And one thing that I really realized from doing the men's work that I'm doing is like, there is something so unique and so special when men are in and around men, mm -hmm. you know, nothing against our women, right? Like no. it's, it's just, and one thing that I heard you say earlier too, and what I, what I got from it is like two words, build and protect yeah. your wife and you are through your own life experience and through your perspective and being a man and her being a woman, her being mom, you being dad, what you're really trying to do is protect and build. But 100%. how that shows up is uh, from two completely different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting, but with, with men being around men, I think that's so, so, so important because like you said, men build other men and those yeah. tests that you're trying to have them go through is very holistic. Yeah. Like it's not one of the things. And again, there's, there's no one, like there's no one way to any of this stuff. No, and no. I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah. That's life, it's right? Building a toolbox. You're building a toolbox. And with that, like 
what I love about what you shared, it is, is that it is very holistic as opposed to just being a brutal physical challenge, like a Navy SEAL thing that could support, just like what you said with your son, you put him on the ground, no blanket, put him through some physical discomfort Mm -hmm. and someone will either meet will fall or will rise, right? Mm -hmm. But you're also having him dial in the communication skills. And especially for men today, that is by and large getting men to tune into what they are feeling Mm -hmm. and learn to express that and get reps into that Mm -hmm. is so important. So I love that you've included in that. What are some of the other ideas that are coming up for you that are- Oh man, I I don't have a full-fledged thing. So my my trip we're about to take tomorrow morning, that's one of my things is to sit down, delete pictures of my phone, too many, (laughs) but also like think, because we're all going to meet and throw ideas out. And so like, I got to think through ideas. I have a list actually, but I could try to see if like my phone will let me, let me access before it gets all, all wonky, but it's called the Agogi in here. Yeah. The Agogi list. I still remember like, as you were, as you were given that, uh, whatever it's called, the monologue or whatever. I was envisioning his voice. That's the guy that has the, the bandage patch. on his eye. After, yeah, yeah. Dude. And, oh, it's just. And I, I thought it was deeper in the movie, but it starts that way, yeah. which I thought was beautiful. It started that way of anchoring you to like, this is, this is how these men are built. This is what they go through. Like the imagery, it's epic. It's dark. You feel like it's the dad. It's seriously, there's a shot where the dad's you know doing sword play and then he backhands the boy and he gets blood disappeared out of his mouth and he goes back and the kid doesn't get, he doesn't get mad. He kind of sits there and centers on him. And then the dad, you know, approaches and the kid rolls around, gets the knife, the blade, and he's back at it. Like he's taught never to, never to surrender, never to give, never to, never back down, never surrender. And it's, it's this part of it. It's like, oh, and then at one point it says later on, like he's a wolf's there. It's the night he says, it's not fear that grips him just a heightened sense of things. I was like, Ooh, bro, cause, oh, yeah, I got cause I, you know, like there's a different Ooh. sense of, of, so it's like, I need my kid, but here's why that he had that, not a fear. You fear the unknown. And when you fear the unknown, when you show up to moments, you operate in fear. And if my boy goes into the world, there's a lot of scary things, right? So it's just, can I subject him to a, a, a knowledge of this feeling, a knowledge of this moment showing up in a different place? Cause you might have a fear of like, there's a guy with a gun. There's a fear. There's also the fear of like, my girl might leave me different things, but it's fear. And if you operate in the emotion without having some heightened sense of things, your emotion takes a logic over you do dumb things. So the idea is, can I subject him to things he's scared of that make him uncomfortable? Not so that he's afraid of that thing or overcomes that thing, but he overcomes fear, period. And then it's a different sense. And so I, that's what I take from those aspects. Like these things that I have as a list here, like build with your hands, start a small business, sell door to door, marketing skills, ask somebody out on a date, change a tire, <laughs> jump a car, yes. right? Build a dog house, fire a weapon, Spartan race, increase your strength, wood whittling, door to door car wash, mailing something. Think about that. Who taught kids? To, nobody teaches anybody to mail a letter. <laughs> you know, it's like these little things. I want them to do it because those are things where it's like, we're going to teach you to figure it out. And he'll be afraid of it because it's new. It's unknown. But if I can make it more known, two things. One, he gets more awareness of fear. And then also he learns to fire the brain on to go, I can figure this out. Because mm. for my life, I can't sit here and say I'm never afraid of things. I have courage for things. But I can tell you my brain, when things get difficult, doesn't go, nah, throw my hands up. I go like, ooh, a puzzle. Mm. Let me figure this new puzzle out. I, I know how to solve puzzles. puzzle. I've been solving puzzles all my life. I can figure this out. So it's a whole different trajectory of how my brain fires off into something where I will dive in and I'm not afraid of the, the journey of the mind and the effort and the trial and error to figure that out. Because I also know when I get it done, new tool for the toolbox, but I got a chip. I got a little bit more pride. And that pride shows up in positive ways for the world. So I can be very giving without this wow. um, you know, sense of like, I have an abundant mindset because of the ability of my mind to go, you can create abundance because you got so many skills. 
so I can be giving, I can do things because it doesn't come back to me negatively. I understand that if somebody does burn me, something does go wrong. Hey, it's happened before. Like I can handle this and I'll keep on going. It's like a bird. They say a bird's not afraid of the, the wire and falling. It, it doesn't trust the wire, it trusts its wings. And so for me, I, I just trust my wings and it flows a whole different way into the world. So I'm trying to get my boys to have that. You've developed a tremendous amount of inner resource and viewing yeah. these things as an opportunity as opposed to a paralyzing force. Can I ask you uh, what comes up for you? Like what, what are you afraid of right now? Or where is there room to grow for you? Oh man, I'm, I'm afraid of things being too good and, and losing them genuinely. And I, so I don't usually talk about this stuff. I never talked to my wife about it, but there's always this fear of death. Like not for me dying, but like random deaths, you know, cause random I'm like, deaths in the family or for me, like okay. me leaving the house and I'm going to go some random thing happen. Right. I, I don't speak it into existence and I'm not walking around worried. Sure. But it's that part of like, man, I, I, I enjoy my life so much. Two things. One, I don't want to miss out on what's coming. I don't want to, I don't want to pass away. I don't want to leave my kids without the base they need to grow to be great human beings and adults. But then I also have a fear of like, things are so good. Like it would suck to lose them. You know, there's that fear of, ha- of getting more because I would have more to lose. And I don't, I, it, as much as I talk about it, I don't live into it. I'm presently aware of it. I have a conversation with it and I press on, but it does show up. So my fear is like, oh, this is real. Everything's going great. Like, oh man, do you really want to go that route? Because what if it happens and you lose it or this you know, contract goes, doesn't go through or like you'll be happy and you'll feel down. And so I go, yeah, yeah, okay. It doesn't matter. We're still going to go, you know? So I lean in, but I think there is that thing that people have is like to have more because you'll have more to lose. It's like, it's like climbing a tree. The higher you go and you fall, it hurts more the higher you're up, you know? So I don't, I, that's the thing is I don't want to be afraid to climb the tree, but that does become an actual fear. Has that been a fear? Your whole life, or is that just more as like as you've been developing? Yeah, I think because as a kid, it wasn't in the cards for me. You know, growing up as a foster kid, you're not supposed to have those those things. So it wasn't a fear of success. No, it was. uh, I think my fear growing up was uh, more so a fear, genuine fear of like I'm I'm not worth anything. When your own mom gives you away, and the people you're with don't do you know good things for you. There's this fear of like, man, maybe I have nothing of value to this world. Like, that's what sucks. Why am I here then? You know, and there's those conversations. I think a lot of my early on drive to be who I am now was simply creating value. So I belonged or had a place here, you know, and I couldn't do very much when you're a kid. There's only so many things you can actually do and aspire to because you're a stinking kid, you know, and I think that was kind of the earlier on things, but I was able to face those by doing things that created value for me as a human, even to this day, man, I I'm consistently learning, engaging, trying, testing, because I want to make sure I'm a value to the people I'm around, whether it's you in, in the mastermind, whether it's, you know, for my, my parenting, because I'll never make him a better man than me if I don't make me a better man. Wow. You know? Absolutely. So it's like, because I don't look at it as now as my age. It's like, if I stopped growing at 35 and I didn't do anything, well, I can't parent him past who Anthony was at 35. But if I can keep growing, well, when I get to 40, I can make him who I was at 35 at 25 because mm-hmm. I'm still growing and I'm learning who I was that moment. There's no stagnation. So it's again, if I, if I want to make him a better man, I got to be a better man. And it's a daily climb. I, I need him to, to not step back and go, I got this problem. Oh, I can't call my dad. Like I need him to go like, I, I know what, I, know, I don't know anything for sure, but I know my dad doesn't have an answer. Like, and I need that to be something that he can always lean on until I'm not here anymore. Because I also look at lineage. Like I want my grandkids to have that. And if he doesn't have a viewpoint of that or a perspective of that, he won't know to seek that. Like I just bought him, uh, I'm reading right now, Deep Work, because I'm doing some research for my book. But I was like, great book for him. I bought him the book. He's reading it. 
Hmm. My dad never, <laughs> never thought of reading. I don't think he's read a book probably this day, you know, like <laughs> love him, but it's not who he is. But that's my thing is like when I find some, I can, I know I'll help him. I don't throw a bunch of books at him, but ones that do, that can matter. He knows from the way I've given him books that'll help him. So he actually dives in and reads them. He's at a different level. And that's something that I can genuinely say is he's a better man than I was. Wow. Setting the tone, modeling it. Modeling. That's your legacy. That's, yeah. That is your legacy. That is. It's not the pages or PDFs or worksheets or videos. That's it. That's it. And I think your clarity around that is one of your biggest strengths. Because I think as men, one of the things that like the the masculine is the directive, is the clarity, is that side of things, right? Mm-hmm. And so if a guy or whatever it is, a man is uh, just unclear of their purpose, why they're doing what they're doing, all that, it just, it can be a dispersion of energy in so many directions. And yeah. one, of, one of the things that I observe, feel, and have seen you do so many times just over the last two years is like your ability to be an incredibly, incredibly high performer in business and also balance that with the family mm-hmm. is like, like, I do feel like I have a pretty high work capacity. Mm-hmm. And like, I would, I would honestly say you trump me. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's incredible. And your ability to balance that. And I think that's one of the most admirable qualities about you for me, because like for me, and, and this stems to what you said earlier, like there are incredible business coaches out there. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm very clear at the ones I would not want to take advice from or not yeah. want to maybe take advice from in certain areas, but not want to have their life. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that clarity for me. And so that's one reason why I love working from you, with you and learning from you is because we share similar core values. And as I become a father, that is exactly, exactly the type of father that I want to be because yeah. I know that is my legacy. Oh man. hundred percent, man. I absolutely love it. This episode is brought to you by Men of Movement, my in-person retreat offering for men of all walks of life. In this retreat experience, we dive deep into many healing modalities of movement, from music to breath work, outdoor workouts, embracing the elements, and even embodied rhythm techniques guided by Yaakov Darling Khan. Many men today are longing to have experiences and honest conversations that fortify who they want to be and how they seek to show up in the world. In my experience, with that comes working through the intentional application of discomfort so we can become better versions of ourselves together. The next Men of Movement retreat takes place in Mount Shasta, California, October 27th through the 30th. It offers an opportunity for men to come together in a safe container to heal and grow in community. There are still a few spots available. If you or anyone you know would be interested in a unique experience like this, go to www.mikesalemi.io and click the Choose Your Path button to find out more and hop on a call with me. Now back to today's podcast. You know, you're so big on identity work, right? And so one of the things that you do a lot of business coaching, you do a lot of personal growth coaching. Mm -hmm. Let's just start with like, how do you define identity? Because I got a few things I'm I'm super curious to ask you on that. So a lot of research went into this kind of statement, but it it psychologically and neurologically makes sense. And before I say it, I'll tell you this. Uh, in the brain, you have a part of your brain called the default mode network, the DMN, and your identity exists in here. If I asked you who you are, that part would actually shut down and you'd start thinking about all these conscious things, my car, my house, my wife, my kid, my job, you go there. However, when you sit there, stare off into the distance and you just like embrace nature, what's going on and your brain can just bring it in, it lights up. 
Mm. And what it is, it's like, that's who you are. Who you are is you filter this, how you see, how you observe. Are you optimistic, pessimistic, negative, happy? Are you joyful? Whatever it is, are you, are you down? Like that part's processing in real time. When I see that person, do I hate them because I'm racist? Do I love them? Because it doesn't matter, right? There's this, but that's your identity. So at a neurological level and a psychological level, you are who you are when you're not thinking about who you are. Just being. Right. So if I'm just sitting here hanging out talking, this, this is Anthony. Right. And there's the same. And now that, that could also be in different ways. I can be different here as I'm with you, that I'm with my kids mm. or with my wife or on a stage. Right. There, there are different expressions of the identity, but I'm not processing who I am in real time telling you these things based on who it's just, this is me talking. And then I may go, oh yeah, I want to, I, I don't know why I, I just flew out of my mouth. It was just me. And so identity is this, this passively active part of us that was programmed from like teachers, preachers, coaches, leaders, situations, environments, these things that created this sense of how we see ourselves to be. And we just show up as that. And that is not typically in real time conscious at a neurological or psychological level. And so with someone who's trying to create a new identity for themselves, like Mm -hmm. I see this super common now, it's like there's people, myself included, and this has been a journey for me, maybe have achieved a high level of achievement in one area of their life, or they're a high performer in one, let's just say business, Mm -hmm. right? But as a result of being a high performer and building that identity as a a high level executive, leading teams, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. in another area of their life, maybe it's their health or how they show up for their family they're really lacking in that area. So for someone who maybe is trying to either create a new identity or maybe have two simultaneous ones, where does someone start and what comes up for you as like key in that? Well, if you think about how any identity was, was built or created, like you just said, I'm a high achiever, high accomplishment. You put actions in over time. You invested, and we as investment biased humans, when I give an investment, I run a return. When I invest in building a business, taking care of my body, my return is confidence, pride, you know, an identity of going, that's who I am. You know, if somebody say I'd built this, you know, amazing business, right, and doing my thing, and someone goes, oh, you don't know anything about business. Wait, hold on, what? No, like you'll, whatever you'll protect if somebody challenges, that's a sense of how you identify. Now, the interesting thing is, if I was to go and say, I want to be uh, an astrological scientist professor. I don't know anything about that. I have no identity there. But if I wanted to go do that, well, what would I do? Well, at first I would, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. That's not who I am. I would question it. I would say, that's not who I am. Literally say those words. But I, at one point could go back before I am who I am now and go, but it's not who I am. But I did something to get here. And all it was was a set of actions and habits. That's it. Now, a lot of us, we are so accustomed to the confidence from our current identity because we've done that work that when we're stripped of it, it makes us feel naked. Mm-hmm. Like if when I couldn't play football anymore, lost my career, I felt naked. I didn't know who I was. And we're all looking to have that feeling immediately. So if I, if I say this is who I am now, but I'm going to do this, we go over here and I'm immediately like, this feels uncomfortable. It's like saying I took all this time to plant this tree, prune it, build it, nurture it. It's this amazing oak. And I go across the street to a new thing. And I, I throw a seed in and go, where's my tree? You want that same base confidence. Ah, right. But you had to do the exact same things you did. That's all it is. You just have to go over there. And here's the thing. You have to be okay with going over here and looking stupid while you do it. Right. I, I recently saw yesterday a video by, uh, it was Chris, Chris, no, it wasn't Chris. No, I know it was, it was Will Smith and Dave Chappelle talking about Chris Rock. And it was a conversation about how Will Smith wants to do stand up. And he, he says, there's this you know, thing. I, I have to be great at this. Yeah. I'm so great at all these things that I, I can't do this and not be great. That's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure, That's right? A lot of pressure. And it's it's he's not giving himself, in my opinion, the the grace to let 
people be aware that this is just a new identity he's trying to build or a new, a new expression of his identity and give yourself the same grace you did when you were acting, when you were rapping, you know, all these different areas. He's already done that and he built up, but now he's at such a high level. He wants to go throw a seed in the ground and say, give me a tree. And so when we want to create this, this new sense of self or whatever it is, it's really about saying, I got I to gotta identify with the actions, not the outcome. I got to identify with the person who's going to go and prune the branches and water this thing as opposed to identifying as that tree just yet. But once the tree is built, I can stand back and go, yeah, this is who I am now. Wow, that's powerful. Now you've got, basically, I want to talk a little bit about how does that fit in? Now you've developed an incredible method called the shift method. Mm-hmm. So how does that come in and how do you utilize that in a lot of your coaching? Well, it's, it's all my coaching. It's the different <laughs> extensions, right? So there's this three stages, C shift, sustain. The C stage is unpacking, seeing the same things I've done for life that we've talked about. I got to see. And once you actually see things that are typically things you don't want to see, it'll inform or should inform the next actions you take, which is the shift phase. Shift is a verb, right? I shift perspectives. I have to shift some of my values and principles sometimes, shift my actual schedule. I shift things. And that's uncomfortable for people. It it feels like a a fish out of water. You're going to do things that are completely out of your norm. And it should feel like that. But that's the only path to getting there. And so people are afraid of the imposter syndrome, whatever it is. So we, we create this journey that is on paper of what you're supposed to start doing. And then you're supposed to do it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the key part. It sounds simple, you know, but everything's simple till you do it. It's simple, but not easy is the best way to say it. Like I can walk into a process to say, who do I want to be? And there's a whole bunch of steps to get through it. And we, we have this clear picture of the ideal identity I want to embody and it's like it's who I am. And there's a, a set of actions and habits to get there. But the third part sustain. And that's the part that most people... They want to bypass quick. That's that's the gold part. This is if you can't sustain it, if you can't make, if you can't integrate it into mm-hmm. your life, then it's not going to be a part of your legacy. First and foremost, mm-hmm. it's not going to stick with you. So, no, and you won't even get it because if you don't sustain, it's not just sustain the action; it's sustain the effort towards the actions. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people try something in that shift phase and they stumble and it hurts and they quit or make an excuse and procrastinate and eventually quit. You know, like they, they, they didn't realize they quit. They quit now, but they, they didn't actually admit it for two months because they just did other stuff. But that's what ends up happening. And so if you don't sustain it and go through the journey of trial and error to build, to get that confidence, you'll never receive that thing you want. So you can want all you want, but you'll never have the thing you want because you didn't become the person who has it. So I, I tell people all the time, you can't have a dream that, that is above your current identity. You I mean, can't have a dream. You can, we'll say you can't achieve a dream above your current identity because okay. either you either you won't sustain it or you won't attain it. Okay. So if I happen to luck out and get this thing, but I'm not of the identity, I will not sustain it. Think about people that win the lottery all the time. They win the lottery. And what do they do? Go broke. Yeah. Why'd they go broke? Well, because every day they looked at their bank account and they didn't identify with a person with $100 million. They felt guilty. They felt awkward. They felt weird. And so somehow in a weird psychological way, that money was flying out of the account and they're buying dumb stuff. And then all of a sudden they're back to where they were before. And I don't know very many wealthy people buying lottery tickets, being honest. I just, (laughs) I don't know any. And the idea is it's usually people that aren't identifying as whatever they need to do to make that money in the first place. So when they get it, it's gone. That's why people that have a hundred million who earned it, they will fight and steal and everything to keep that damn money Mm. because they know what it took to get that. So they identify with it. I protect it. And so if your identity doesn't reach that, you'll lose it, right? And also you typically won't attain it. Short of the lottery, you're, you're, if you don't identify with the person that um, gets up early to take care of your body and eats the right food and works out, you're not going to attain a great body. Right. 
you can't just all of a sudden stumble into greatness or it doesn't work that way. So you have to identify with that because the actions must be taken over a long period of time and sustained for a while, even beyond, you know, what you've accomplished to have that be grabbed and brought into your life and then also kept. Because say, for example, we, we take the same fitness mentality. Say I do a couple of things, identify with a guy a little bit that, that's working out. So I get in shape, I lose 20 pounds, whatever. Well, there's one person I'll do that and go, that's who I am now. And one person who goes, oh, the diet's done. <laughs> you know, he doesn't identify with the guy that's in shape. He identifies the guy who's on a diet. So now the diet's done, he's back to who he was. Whereas the person that gets in shape says, I'm a person that's in shape. You identify differently. Therefore, the actions continue on because you don't want to go to sleep out of alignment. We as humans hate being out of alignment more than we even realize. If I say this thing or who I am, I will live my life in a way to make that statement right so I can be in alignment. Mm. Even if it's bad, even if I say I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'll do things to make that right. And so what happens for all of us is we have to sustain the actions to get there and then get there and sustain that over time to become that to where the beautiful thing is like, like a rocket ship. They say all the powers burned and the fuels in the first, you know, take off. And then it's like 10% the rest of the way. Same thing for identity work. It is really hard in the beginning. It takes a ton of energy, but eventually when it becomes who you are, that thing that was hard to do now becomes hard not to do. Cause I don't want to go to bed and be the guy that's like, you're a kettlebell guy. You got to get serve people. Now you got the damn Bulgarian bags, right? <laughs> Always work to get there. Yeah. Can you imagine how you'd feel if you woke up one day fat and out of shape? Yeah. It'd be like, you'd feel gross. You'd feel like a, not you. Yeah. And so what do we do? We, we future pace that moment and go, ah, I'm not going to be that guy. So the moment I do this thing and the crazy thing after a while where it was hard, maybe years ago, it's easy now. It's, it's what I call effortless effort after a while. You've said in the, and I've used this words, I'm continually trying to be more mindful of my language, right? Because just like you said, like language is powerful. Yeah. People live into almost everything that we say, right? Mm-hmm. So especially if it's negative and, and self, like self-defeating. So I remember I was using the words pretty, pretty often, like I'm overwhelmed. Mm. I'm overwhelmed. Like I got so much stuff going. I'm trying to build a business. I'm trying to, you know, be present with, with Lauren. I'm trying to cook more. I'm trying to do all these things and be fit all yeah. this stuff. Right. And you had said something or you use a different word. I do. And I want you to. Yeah. I, I use, uh, I don't like being overwhelmed. I'm maximized. Maximized. Okay. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fully optimized at a moment for what I can do. I don't think optimized is usually when I use, I usually use maximize because to say I'm overwhelmed, it's a, it's a, a finite I can't do anymore. I'm, it's, I'm over the ability to do anything. If I own that, then that means that everything that I have right now, I can't handle. And, and if I'm overwhelmed, this is my peak. I'll never be able to have more because mm-hmm. to have more, I have to be able to do this stuff. And I look at other people and I go, man, these people have what I have. They're operating a tick I have. And they got, they got even more than I do and do even more, but they have less stress. Yeah. I go, How in the world is this possible? Like what's going on? And I go, oh, it's because it's my current version of my identity is maximized. And so maximize doesn't mean it's over, it's done. It just means that this is my current max. When I lift weights, I can work out. It's hard, but I can increase my max. I can get stronger and stronger and stronger. And so for me, when I hear overwhelmed, people go, ah, oh, hands thrown up. I sit on the couch, <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. Maximize, I go, cool, maximize, let's increase your max. If we can increase your max, then what you're dealing with now will feel like lightweight. Lightweight, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Ronnie Coleman. Ronnie, Ronnie Coleman, Coleman lightweight. And that's what it feels like. And only thing is, it's the hard work in the moments to make yeah. that work lighter later. 
You know, I've heard you say that word and I've also heard you say, which also resonates with me. Uh, and this was early on, maybe a year plus ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard you say stretched. Yeah. You know, I'm stretched. And mm-hmm. like, I've resonated that too, because like in the gym, Same is, thing. just like you said, is a perfect example of that without resistance. Mm-hmm. And this goes into everything to becoming and living into that identity and, and practicing it and developing the habits. Like we need to stretch ourselves. Have to. And that little shift has been one of the more valuable like nuggets that I've really gotten from you because mm-hmm. that overwhelm, I was using that a lot. And just that switch, man, like I'm stepping into new levels just yeah. because, and it's incredible to me how just a simple change in one word yeah, and how we connect to that word mm-hmm. and what it means to us and really feeling into it with our hearts, with everything yeah, can be a complete game changer in our life. That's it. Yeah. It's all, I mean, and it, I think that is the game, man. Yeah. The game is, is looking at the world and going, what do I want next? Because we all have a want next. We don't got to rush. I just want this to go off hella loud. So I'm going to stop it. Whatever we keep going, we keep going. It's fine. Cool. Because uh, it'll go beep, 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 hella loud. <laughs> we're looking, we, we're looking um, at a timer right here. We have a timer, people. Uh, <laughs> but the idea is like, it, it's, it's saying, if I want that next thing, when I go to look at it, imagine being a kid that goes, I want that the t- at the ticket counter at the, the arcades back in the day, even currently now. And I walk up, I go, I want that, that squirt gun up there. And I go, man, I've only got a hundred tickets and it's 150 tickets. And I go, oh, can't get it. I get the thought. Like, it's like, if it's all you can get, there's no more. If you think there's no more games you play, like you can never have it. And then it sucks. But I go, no, I want to get more tickets. How do you get more tickets? You go back, play the game. <laughs> it's really what it was. So I just, I, I try to find words that get me to, to be enjoying going back and playing the game, not going, I got to play this thing to go ahead and get tickets to get this squirt gun. No, what if you could play the game and enjoy the game? Mm-hmm. As an added benefit of the squirt gun, you know, that's how it's supposed to be done at these arcade games. That most people go in these arcade games of life and they hate the game they're playing just to get the tickets to get this thing they get. And they go, this thing's, it's a piece of crap from China that it's just in Chuck E. Cheese and, you know, and not stupid. And I go, man, well, wouldn't it have been great to enjoy the game? Because think about it. You spent all that time over there doing that. But if you enjoyed this. And so the idea of like stretch and optimization and maximizing, it's like I'm trying to find ways to tell my brain like, hey, you have more work to do, but don't hate it all. Like find a way to go, okay, I'm stretched right now. All right, cool. Well, can I stretch further? Can I, you know, be malleable? Can I handle? Can I expand what I call capacity? Because capacity is your ability to handle, right? And whether it's a physical capacity, I look at it kind of like power plugs. Like we have plugs we're using in our lives. And most of us have like a bunch of plugs. I have my health plug, my marriage relationship plug, my parenting plug, the business plug, the hobby plug, right? Friendship plug. We all these plugs, they got to be powered on by us. And if you only have two outlets in your house, well, how are you going to power them all on without it freaking out eventually? You know, then something doesn't get the power. So the marriage doesn't get the power because you're working on business and, and kids. So your marriage doesn't have power for a while. Eventually that thing's done. Craps out, right? Friendship, same way. Health, same way. So what most of us don't look at is that stretch, that maximization. It's expanding capacity. It's going, look, I got two plugs. Let me get a power strip. Let me make a power strip. Let me expand this to three plugs, four plugs, five plugs, to where eventually you don't just have, you know, six plugs and six outlets. And I got six plugs and 20 outlets. Wow. Right. So I can, I can look and go, ah, oh, you know what? I, I want to power on that next thing. I'm actually looking to get my pilot's license. <laughs> what? hundred percent. Dude. Right. It's yes. Weird little things. Yes. I do. So you got, you're already talking about, I do things, create things. And I'm like, I can fit a pilot's license in there. I got, I got to stretch and I do. And I find ways and move things around. And it fits. <laughs> You have to send me a picture after. I got pictures. Oh, you do? You are? I do. Oh, man. Well, one of the things on that that note, like that I tend to see a lot is, you know, well, by and large, we have a really just low vitality society. 
And so in order to, what I've really realized is my capacity and people's capacity to stretch themselves is directly tied to their level of health and vitality. I'd agree. It's like if you are not sleeping or not hydrating or in a toxic relationship, those are all things that drain your vital life force energy. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's been like, I know that if you were saying earlier, like if I'm not training regularly, doesn't mean I have to kill myself in the workout. Like now, honestly, most of my training is like proactive maintenance. Yeah, I get it. With the occasional- Kill yourself. Go, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like chop wood, carry water with the occasional quantum leap. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for yourself, those big, those, those uh, what do they call them? Some of the C, I'll think of it later. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> but crucible. Cru- crucible. Crucibles, yeah. But that this is why I really believe like health is the foundation for high performance in any aspect mm-hmm. of our life. And if we can focus on there, our basin of what we're able to hold and carry and build just continually grows. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I would love to, this has been so awesome, by the way, I'm like, this has been so cool. I would love, uh, before, you know, I would love for you to share, you know, where people can find you all that stuff, but Mm -hmm. I would love to kind of wrap up. If you were to share on just this last topic that we went, if you were to summarize and share one nugget of wisdom or one piece that you would say, uh, whether it's, someone stepping into that new identity and or someone tied to stretching themselves, what would you offer to that person to to enter that? So I would genuinely go into the same realm what you're talking about, right? There's there's this misconstrued perception and I think we just grow up with it that your your brain is is sitting there and your body is designed just to carry it around. Hmm. So people think like I just my body just to carry my brain around so I can think and talk and eat and enjoy and go on computers like no nah, man you want to realize your body actually can make your brain better <laughs> and when you like so post workout we have this this uh, brain protein called brain derived neurotrophic factor it's the protein that kind of builds the synapses so called the highways and it maintains them and it also levels dopamine serotonin and the reason I'm not eating your face right now like it's the chemicals are balanced and so I can be at ease and at peace when things go crazy and I can also memorize learn better post workout than any other time because the, the that protein's dumped out post workout and so. Most people don't realize if you really want to improve or optimize your brain to do the things you do in life, you should take care of your body. But it's also even deeper than that from like a you know, brain level. There's something unique about the ability to be in, in that moment when you want to stop and you're by yourself and no one's there and you know you can stop, but you force yourself to go past, to finish the rep, to, mm. to also give the full effort when you know you can give less and no one's going to judge you. And it's unique because it gives you that sense of pride when you're done that no one's going to know about. I call it that dark work. No one's going to know about it, but I'm going to know about it. I'm going to feel great about me so I can show up my day different. I have a different chip. I have a different pride, different confidence. But it also, it informs me of what I'm capable of. And so whenever I leave the physical setting and I go to the mental setting and sit in a meeting or a call or a conversation, and I, I feel myself in that moment of difficulty, I know what I'm capable of. But lean in. And so if you don't take care of your body or press your body or push your body when it comes to optimize, when it comes to stretch, when it comes to maximize, you will stop because you're not, you're not intimately connected to that emotion. You didn't put yourself into it. You didn't subject yourself to it enough in advance. So it, it seems overwhelming. And it's much easier nowadays to find the kickoff, to find somebody who tells you you shouldn't work like that. Like it's, it's, it's not always the, the joyous thing to talk about, but I'm, I'm not a big fan of like the, the body positivity solely for the pur- purpose of somebody's feelings. Correct. Right. I, I get the idea that you should be body positive. You don't want to hate your skin, but we should be honest that the body is not designed to carry the weight that people are trying to put onto it to do the things we're supposed to do. It's not designed for that. And I don't know a single person that's gotten shape 
from that and gone, I hate this journey. I hate myself now. Every one of them. So we, 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 we have to look at this aspect that not only do you like yourself more and you can accomplish more, achieve more, like it's from a standpoint of mental, but it's also better because you can do more long-term. If I take care of my body longer, I get to be around my kids longer. I get to impact lives longer. If I was to sit back and go, I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to eat whatever I want, never take care of myself, not work out. Well, I'm not going to be able to get up and walk around half the day. I'm going to be anxious and angry when I see them because my energy is crappy. I can't serve love I want to. It's just, there's it's such an incongruent aspect there. And so if you want to maximize your ability, you want to stretch your life, you have to first stretch your mind by first stretching your body, I guess, in a way, right? Take care of your body, press the body, because that's an intimate moment that no one can create for you. No one can take from you. And when you can build into that and realize that you're taking the intangibles you learn from that moment into the rest of your life, you see all areas spike up. My success is tied to that. When I was out of shape, 100% life was not fun because everything is put to the filter of my body is uncomfortable. I don't like myself in the mirror or whatever it is. But the moment that you start doing the workouts, even if you don't get into great shape right now, if you are overweight still, but you got a week of killer workouts in, I don't care what's going on. You're going to have that crazy, you're going to feel good. Because you know what you did. And that that's the thing. And you do enough of that, eventually you get the body that mirrors how you feel. Because I do like that whole concept of your external, right? Your body is a reflection of your internal. Mm-hmm. If I love me, I, I, I really love who I am. I'm taking care of who I am deeper than just my brain. I'm taking care of my body. And that I think all the people I know, not everybody, because we have some weird you know, knucklehead, steroid pumping, you know, meatheads that aren't too happy with themselves. But people that I know that are doing like functional stuff or doing triathlons or doing Spartan races or doing CrossFit, like they're joyous people, man. They, that's why those CrossFit communities are so dialed in because mm. they're not in there making fun of each other and bagging on themselves. Like they love the work. They feel confident. I think that, and I'll end on this. I think that is the golden thing about CrossFit. It is, it is hard. They make it hard. And the reason that they say everybody, you know, the first rule of CrossFit is talk about CrossFit, you know? <laughs> When you think about anything you've done, if you get your pilot's license, like, or I get my pilot's license, or you win an award, or you, you know, have these kids, like you're proud of these things. Yeah. It's because of the work you put into them that was very difficult. That's why CrossFit people talk about CrossFit, because they're proud of the work they put into it and how difficult it was. Therefore, I talk about it. That same thing where it's physical, can and should and does carry over into your mental, which then shows up in all other parts of your life continually, continually inspired. <laughs> yeah, man. No, but this, that's the truth. You know, and what I've really seen from you is your ability to, again, have clarity, but you are a very efficient human, yeah. at least how I experience you. Very efficient. And it's because just like what you said, you've identified and are willing to go through the pains and the suffering and whatever it is of those biggest boulders that you know will have a cascade mm-hmm. of effects everywhere else. So I love what you shared. And uh, we'll close off. Where can people find you? Uh, where can yeah. they, you know, drop it down? All the fun stuff, man. Uh, if you go to textanthony.com and then just say hi, I have like a, it's like a text community. I send messages out. Uh, or you just go to Instagram, man, at Anthony Trucks. It's pretty straightforward. There's only one besides my oldest son, <laughs> but you'll know the difference in face. He's like running on track and it's like my face up there. <laughs> Well, dude, thank you so much. I'm going to give you a big hug once we step up from here. Yeah, man. Thank you again so much. This yeah. has been so special. And you've been, if you didn't already know it, you've been a huge, huge inspiration for Damn me. Here, and a coach, a mentor, a friend, you name it, like through osmosis and through your direct just <laughs> coaching and everything you've offered. So from my heart, man, thank you so much. I received that, man. Appreciate it. Peace, everyone. Deuces. Thanks for listening. 
be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. 